Yo, yo, what's happening? Daylight savings time, baby. I love the extra sunshine, really. That extra hour. I thought we voted to eliminate this, though, here in California. I had to look it up. Uh, It did get the necessary votes, but our state Senate has to pass it by a two-thirds vote. And they haven't done that yet. And even if it does pass in the Senate, it, it has to be sent to the federal government for them to approve it. So, if we can get this done before November, we'll stay on the timer on now. I think it's a joke. I mean, it's stupid. Not to mention a pain in the ass. And this is going to sound like I'm bitching, but I own a lot of watches. And it's kind of a bitch having to change the time on all my watches twice a year. It's just super weird in the winter months when it's like it's pitch black at five o'clock in the afternoon. You know, that's just, uh, that's lame. Washington's cool though. In the summer, it stays late, uh, it stays light really late. So it'd be eight o'clock and the sun's still out. (laughs) I like that. All right, look, this is going to get a little sick, but stick with me on this. Last week, right, I'm in the mood to watch something stupid, right? Definitely a comedy. And Amazon Prime Video happens to have this large library of insipid bullshit in their lineup of movies. So if you're ever in the mood to burn a little bit of time watching a movie that you won't remember next month, all right, you know, a little mind eraser, that's the place to go. It's like direct-to-video type of movies. So this movie that I watched was so mind-numbingly dumb that I can't even remember the title of it or who was in it. Brooklyn Decker was in it, but that's all I can recall. I'm going to tell you the plot, and then I'm going to get to my point. The story's about this guy who wakes up uh, to a morning show on his clock ra- alarm clock radio. So on the radio, his girlfriend is calling him out for missing their anniversary. And she breaks up with him right on the radio show. So now, you know, he's been publicly humiliated and dumped. He's feeling really low, right? So fast forward a few months. One of his friends talks him into going on this uh, this hookup site, Casual Encounters or something. No strings attached type of website, just for hooking up. So he goes on a few dates. But every chick that he hooks up with is a freak. Like, they're really into kinky shit, and it freaks them out. It starts off really simple. Chicks who like biting, scratching, light bondage, stuff like that. Then it gets a little dark. These nasty bitches want him to spit on them, choke them, spank them. You know, second-level freaks. One of them tries to stick something up his ass. So, So finally... And this is the one that closes the door on the whole deal. This girl is super aggressive. She's ripping up his clothes, right? Saying all kinds of nasty stuff. She rips off all his clothes, pushes him into her bathroom, sets him on the toilet, starts giving him a blowjob. And she looks up at him and she says, now take the Browns to the Super Bowl. So I laugh at first, right? I've heard a lot of funny euphemisms for taking a a dump, dropping the kids off at the pool, unloading some timber, making a deposit, stuff like that. But take the Browns to the Super Bowl? (laughs) That That is a next level genius piece of writing. But then the reality of that scene sets in. She wants this guy 
to drop a deuce while she's blowing him. Now, what kind of sick motherfucker would A, want that, and B, actually go through with it? I know it's just a movie, all right, but that didn't come out of nowhere. I did a little research. I know there are some sexual deviants out there who, who, who probably do this and are totally into it. My question is, why? How could your sex life get to that level? What went wrong in your life that you would actually want that as part of your sexual repertoire? Standard sex, oral, butt stuff, role play, tie me up, tickle me, that kind of stuff. Okay, fun, playful, keeps things exciting. But when you start asking someone to shit near your face, or worse, on you, there's 50 screws loose in your head. I've, I've had people ask me if I've ever seen two girls, one cup. I am proud to say I have not. I don't want to. And please don't send me the link again. I don't think it's funny or sexy or anything other than sick and gross. And if you like to talk about that stuff, it's probably because you're desperate for people to think that you're cool. But the reality is, you're not cool. You're fucked up. Nothing could make me want to have sex less than anything that has to do with piss and shit. And yeah, that's a thing too. Golden showers. Look it up. There are men and women alike that like to be peed on. I'm sorry if this is getting to be too much, but I think it's worth discussing because this is a name. No holds barred. What went wrong in your childhood that you would want to be demeaned like that? Or are things so perfect in your life that you want to visit crazy town for a while and see what it's like there? Either way, you need to seek a professional, get some help. Like this whole cuckolding thing. Why would any guy want to see his wife getting drilled by another dude? And don't tell me shit like, I'm not a jealous person. It makes me feel good to see her receiving pleasure, even if it's from somebody else. That's bullshit. Dude, your marriage is over. And if it isn't, it's going to be after that. I'm not a prude, okay? But this stuff is all beyond the pale, as far as I'm concerned. Your wife wonders if the rumors are true about black men? And she wants to have that experience? All right, go for it. Just make her your ex-wife first, right? Because I'll say it again, she's going to be your ex-wife after that experience sets in. There's no coming back from that. You can't unsee another dude's tool in your wife's box. I see these relationship advice columns in my newsfeed all the time. And stuff like this will come up from time to time. Usually it's the standard stuff, right? Like my husband said some mean things to me and now I don't love him anymore. Or uh, my wife suddenly, she's not interested in sex anymore. Or my partner and I got a dog and now I think my partner loves a dog more than me. Stupid stuff. But every once in a while, there's going to be a clickbaity headline like my husband and I had a recent experience and now I don't know if things will ever be the same. And of course, that's about a threesome. And in almost every case, even when these couples think and, and plan and plot things out months in advance, 
that single experience never simply ends and makes the marriage better. It always screws the pooch. Someone gets jealous, or worse, the partner ends up having a private affair with a third person, and then it ends in divorce. (laughs) The finish after the finish, and it's always messy. I sound judgmental. I don't mean to be. What you do in the privacy of your bedroom is your business. Cool, as long as you're happy. And I don't think anything is too kinky. Seriously, open mind. But doing a number one or a number two on your partner? Yeah. You might need some help. Take the Browns to the Super Bowl. (laughs) That's a good one, man. But taken literally? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen in our lifetime. The Browns and the Super Bowl? I was thinking last week, maybe someone with the last name Schitz, S-H-I-T-Z, they should campaign to have that team name changed to something else because it, it exploits their family heritage. Maybe they're proud of their family and change it. Change the name to like the Cleveland Bombers or something. That might be what they need to get the monkey off their back. Someone cancel the Browns, please. Surely there are people out there with poop names. And, and you know, they can complain. The shit's family. Speak up, people. <laughs> yeah. I'm Brian Shits, and I come from a long lineage of shits with a proud family heritage. <laughs> Our family's had enough of the Browns organization throwing more goddamn fuel on the fire. You know what it's like to grow up with the last name Shits? How many times I had to clean the front of my locker at school because someone wrote Brian smells like shits all over it? I now I'm being ridiculous. Sorry. Cancel the Browns. Hey, where did this whole woke thing come from anyway? When did that shit actually start? I think I asked this before. Is it a Gen Z thing? Woke? Dumbest crap I've ever heard. It's getting worse, man. I'm seeing it all over the place now. And they want you to use pronouns to describe people. Get that wrong and uh, prepare to get jumped. They're complaining about everything. We ruined everything. It's our generation's fault. Yada, yada. Listen. Listen, you overly sensitive, privileged little shits. The world doesn't revolve around you. Grow a set of balls or you're going to spend the rest of your lives getting your asses kicked. Someday, kids that are born this year are going to grow up and start canceling your stupid ass over something. I think we're calling them Generation C for COVID. Anyone born from 2020 to whenever this asshole virus packs its bags and moves back to China or wherever it came from. Or just dies. Thank God, man. Listen to me. I'm in my mid-50s. And I already have that old man get off my lawn mentality. I do hate that shit, though. This is the end result of that whole notion that everybody gets a trophy. This is how we got here. I'm going to get off my own lawn now before I piss myself off. Yeah, so the Oscar nominations were announced on Monday. 
And I'm not nearly as excited about them as I've been in years past. It's always been a thing for me. I love it. But I'm excited about one nomination this year in particular for Best Documentary Feature Film. My Octopus Teacher on Netflix. I love documentaries. They're my favorite genre of film because uh, it's always about real life, true stories. And done well, they will have all the elements of a story that a feature film will have. You know, beginning, you know, it's got a whole plot. There's an arc, sometimes some suspense, nice ending, usually. So it's on Netflix. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to give anything away, but I want to play a couple clips from it to kind of like lure you in. And uh, there's parts that will, it'll make, it'll get you emotional. It spoke to me in ways that I find hard to, to put into words. I worked for a diving company years ago. It was the leading diving organization in the entire world. And as part of my job, I had to become certified, a certified diver, which required me to get in the ocean and to get over my fear of sharks. My fear of sharks was equal to, if not worse, than my fear of heights. I had it bad, dude. I watched Jaws when I was like 11 years old and it put the fear of God in me. So bad. I didn't even want to take a bath or sit on the toilet because I was afraid a shark was going to take a bite out of my ass. Anyway, after all of our pool training, we had to complete uh, three separate open water dives in the ocean. On our very first one, my boss, who was also my instructor, as soon as we got in the water, he told me to quickly put my head underwater so I could see what was going on down there. What I saw was an entirely different world, and I started hyperventilating. It was surreal, like, like you're inside of a giant aquarium that doesn't end, and I fell in love with it. I did. I fell in love with it after that. If you've never dived in the ocean or snorkeled or free-dived with uh, snorkeling gear and a weight belt, you have no idea what you're missing out on. It's filled with friendly, inquisitive creatures who mean no harm to you and frankly wonder what the hell you're do- we're doing. What are you doing down here? You know? They are... It's crazy. Before I go off here, let me tell you what this movie's about. It's about this South African man who lives in a house on a cliff above the ocean near Cape Town. He's a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, and he's at a point in his life where he's burnt out. I mean, he's in a bad place. He has a young son and his wife, and he's just not present. He produced a documentary on these uh, trackers in Africa that he realized were so in tune with nature in, in a way that he never was, but wished that he was. So as a form of therapy, around 2010, he began free diving because he needed to center focus his life and he starts documenting uh, his dives with an underwater camera. And after a while, he meets this friendly octopus. I remember there was a strange shape to my left and just going down and seeing this really strange thing. The fish even seemed to be confused. 
And then suddenly... At the time, I didn't know. I'd witnessed something extraordinary. I come in at the end of a whole drama. You think, well, what on earth is this animal doing? And I think she was a little bit afraid of me, so she lifted this incredibly slippery uh, piece of algae that you can hardly hold with your hands and just wrap it in this extraordinary cloak around her and then stare at me out of the little gap. It's a hard thing to explain, but sometimes you just get a feeling and you know there's something to this creature that's very unusual. There's something to learn here. He remembers where her den is, right? So he decides to visit her every day to gain her trust. And they eventually become very friendly. And you discover that the octopus, and I didn't know this, is one of the most intelligent creatures in the ocean. Like, smarter than a dog or a cat. Or a pig. An octopus is essentially a snail that's lost its shell in evolution. Very fragile, liquid, soft animal that relies on tremendous intelligence. She's got no mother or father to teach her anything. She's alone. She's got all these different type of predators all hunting her. So over millions of years, she's had to come up with the most incredible methods to deceive them. So he gains her trust, becomes friends with it, and the octopus starts playing with him and allows him to follow her around. So he's got his camera, right? He's, he's documenting how she lives, hunts, sleeps, all that stuff. And over time, he begins obsessing about this octopus. All I could do at the time was just think of her in the water and on land. I mean, it just became a bit of an obsession. Do you just want to visit her every single day and see what's going on? You can't wait to get back in the water. Now, he knows the life expectancy of this thing is just a few years, right? So he figures she, maybe she's got a year to live. So he's going to visit her every day for a full year. And she lets him pet her. And she uses her suckers to feel his skin. She's in, At one point... Um, they kind of have an embrace and it's, it, it'll make you cry. If you watch this film and you don't get emotional, I mean, seriously, you don't have a heart. Finally, after looking for her for a week, day after day, there she was. like a and a human friend like waving and saying hi and excited to see you and I could feel it like from one minute to the next okay I trust you 
I trust you, human, and now you can come into my octopus world. And she's moving towards me, and my natural instinct is to gently back away. And then I just wanted to keep still, so I held onto a rock. But she just kept coming, and then covered my whole hand. And I'd been underwater for quite a long time, so I just gently pushed for the surface, thinking she would move off my hand. But she didn't. She just rode on my hand right to the surface. So, she knows that she is prey to sharks, and there are pajama sharks that live around there, and she has a, a few run-ins with these sharks. As I started to map the environment around her den, it was shocking to see small caves really close to her, packed with pajama sharks, and they really are her most serious predator. Their skin is striped, as that's what they call a pajama shark. They're not visual predators, but they have an incredible sense of smell, and they are particularly aggressive. They can shove their noses into a small crack, so they are deadly little octopus predators. And I was thinking, well, how long before something happens with these animals? I'm not going to reveal any parts of the plot, so you'll have to watch this. But that's a general idea of what this film is about. So watch the damn thing, all right? Netflix. I hope I've done a, a good enough job here. He doesn't wear a wetsuit or a tank. Um, he goes in with long flippers, a mask, snorkel, weight belt, his camera, and a diving knife. Just really basic stuff. And he didn't want to wear a wetsuit either because he wanted to be able to have human contact with this thing. You know, nothing artificial. And the water that he swims in is cold. I mean, like... Your nuts will disappear cold, that cold. Like, I think he said like six or seven uh, centigrade. It's, it's pretty chilly. I mean, dude, you'll get shivers watching this. If you don't know about free diving, basically, you fill your lungs with air at the surface, then you dive to the bottom and you hold your breath. And you have to wear a weight belt in seawater because we're naturally buoyant in the ocean. Without the extra weight to hold you down, you might get 20 feet down and the water basically will just push you back up to the surface because there's no tank. You've got to hold your breath. So you have to train for this in a pool. Most people can, I'd say 60 seconds, people can hold their breath. So in order to get three-minute dives in, you got to practice and you have to relax. If you're anxious or you're worried, that you're going to drown or pass out, you'll, you know, you'll have a miserable time. 
You're not going to pass out or drown as long as you put in the training. So whenever I get the opportunity to go snorkeling or free dive, I never pass it up. It's a beautiful place to see. It's filled with beauty and tranquility. It's like, it's unlike anything that's going on where we live. They do eat each other down there. But uh, I was saying, we kind of eat each other up here too. So there's that. And he's diving in a, in a wonderful place. A lot of color. So many species that live there. The fish are incredible creatures though. They're inquisitive, curious, friendly. On our uh, very first dive, we had to kneel on the bottom of the sea inside of this uh, kelp forest to practice our signals, right? So this sea bass comes swimming up right in front of me, literally a foot away from my mask and stares at me. (laughs) It's like, hey, asshole, who are you and what do you want down here? And my attention span, it's short anyway, but it went to shit on that day. I was overwhelmed and I easily got over my fear of sharks. In fact, in all my time of diving and snorkeling, I've seen at least 10 sharks and played with some sand sharks once, but they don't want to play around. They, you know, they're afraid of you, actually. I've seen massive skates, spiny lobsters, ton of aquarium looking fish in Hawaii. Now, yeah, you want to enjoy snorkeling, go to Hawaii. Just be careful out there because the sharks in those waters, they don't fuck around. No playtime with those sons of bitches. Anyway, as the movie progresses, right, he he starts to talk about how this experience has taught him so much about life here on land and how many lessons there are for us when we visit the sea. Because life is fragile everywhere. And it's important for us to connect with nature. And we need to do some research. Educate yourself on these creatures and the plant life, you know, aqua life. Get a better understanding of what lies beneath because it might just teach us more about ourselves. I know it taught me one thing. I won't be eating octopus again. (laughs) One of my favorite things in the world is takoyaki. They're these fried octopus balls from Japan. They're delicious. At least they were. I I can't do it. I'm going to think about the octopus in this movie every time I see octopus now. Funny too. I was telling my brother this. I saw the movie Babe. That didn't stop me from eating bacon. But the connection with nature. And I've spent the better part of my life connecting with nature. I love Entering these environments, whether on here, on land, under the water, wherever. We're all part of this ecosystem. So why do we as humans continue to just trash it? It's like we give zero fucks because we're at the top of the food chain. Until we're eaten by sharks. So they're at, you know, basically they're at the top of the food chain. That's the equalizer. And that's part of the thrill of entering the sea. And becoming part of that arena. Because we can't survive down there without help. You know, an air tank or having to continue to go up to the surface to catch our air. But it's a magical place, man. You owe it to yourselves to make their part of this world uh, a part of yours. You know, respect. 
that's I think it's what I'm trying to, to get to. Sea life can't talk back to us, you know, any more than a, a bird or a squirrel. But we all occupy the earth together. So you got to give nature and these animals the, the same respect that you give your neighbors. And you can start by not making a number two in the sea. That's nasty sea porn shit. And I'm not going to tolerate that. Okay, kids. My air tank is empty. Hope you guys all have a good week. Until next time, peace out.